1: And welcome back to New Books in History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Christine Lamberson, and I'll be your host for the channel today. Um, today I'll be speaking with Jay Samuel Walker about his new book, Most of Fourteenth Street Is Gone: The Washington, D.C. Riots of 1968. The book just came out this year with Oxford University Press. And Sam is here today to talk to me about the book and tell us a little bit about himself and uh, how he came to write the book. So thanks, Sam. Thanks for joining us.
0: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So just to get us started, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a historian and and really become mostly interested in history?
0: Uh, history was always an interest of mine. My, my dad was a professional historian. He taught... Uh, History as a college professor for most of his career. So I came by it naturally, but when I first went to college, I was in, in a pre med program, and uh, it turned out that I hated biology, I hated chemistry, I didn't understand physics, and, and what I enjoyed was history. So I switched to being a history major uh, in college, and then when I graduated, I went on to graduate school and got a PhD in history. And that's when I really uh, learned about how fascinating history is, and how addictive it is, and how much fun it is at the same time, how much work it is. So. Um, so that was kind of my progression into the historical profession.
1: And you spend a large portion of your career at the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission,
0: right? Correct. And then... Most of my... I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Uh, for, for most of my career, I was the historian, uh, the one and only historian at the Nuclear Re- Regulatory Commission, where my job was to write scholarly histories of nuclear power regulation.
1: Okay. And so you've written a couple of other books besides this one. And obviously, that work is a little bit different than this topic. So I was wondering if you might tell us a little bit about how you got to be interested in this particular topic.
0: Um, I've lived, I went to graduate school at the University of Maryland, and I came here uh, with the idea that I would get my PhD in history and go out and teach somewhere. Well, that didn't didn't work out. I couldn't find a teaching job. By the time I got my PhD, history jobs, uh, academic history jobs, were extremely uh, hard to get. Uh, there were lots of highly qualified people, and not too many jobs. So I wound up working for the government, and uh, that that worked out fine. The NRC treated me very well and and valued what I did. So. Um. um So for for most of my career, I I wrote the histories of nuclear power regulation. I I published five books uh, as an NRC historian. And when I retired, I thought about, well, maybe after I retire, I'll do a big book on the history of nuclear energy from from the get-go to the present. And the more I thought about that, the less I, I wanted to do that. And so I so I kind of shopped around for a topic, and I wound up doing a couple of books on college basketball. Uh, and that was great fun, and the books did well. they uh, At least they got good reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after I did a couple of books on basketball, I decided I want to do something different. I was kind of shopping around for to a topic. Uh, and by that time, I had lived in, in the D.C. area for almost 50 years, not quite 50 years, and I realized that the 50th anniversary of the D.C. riots of 1968 was, was coming up. And I thought, gee, that might be an interesting topic. Uh, I lived here for a long time. I didn't know much about the history of, of the city uh, and the area in which I lived for almost half a century. So I thought to myself, well, that could be fun. That could be interesting. Uh, and I'll learn a lot, and I hope that I can find a good publisher. So, so that's how I initially approached the topic, that it was going to be a fun topic, a good topic, and uh, an important topic, because uh, the riots of the mid-1960s, uh, including those in Washington in 1968, uh, are an important part of, of American history.
1: Mm hmm. And so you, you mentioned that you had a, a lot to learn about him. You, you mentioned in your book at the beginning that you uh, came to DC not too long afterwards. And there's, of course, a lot of historians that have been writing about the 1960s over the past few decades. So did you come to this topic, just sort of having a, a vague idea of what happened? Or did you have some sense of what you expected to find or, or what was going on?
0: You know, um, what I did was to read a lot of books about the history of Washington, D.C., which there are are many good books, and they covered uh, the riots some, but, but briefly. Um, but aside from that, uh, when I started, uh, I was pretty much a blank page. I, I really didn't have any ideas about where the topic was going to go. Uh, where it would take me or what I might or how, how I might approach it certainly not what I might conclude so uh, and that's the best way to write history is to start off without any preconceived ideas uh, so that's what I did and um, as I mentioned in the book uh, it was it was, uh, it's, it, it was fascinating for, be, for me because these were things that I, I knew about or, or or heard about vaguely, uh, and suddenly uh, when I did the research, uh, it all started to come together uh, into what I think is a very interesting story. Mm
1: -hmm. And so perhaps uh, your answer to that question makes this clear, but you very much in your book set this moment within the history of Washington, D.C., the the broad, long history of Washington, (laughs) D.C., or kind of thinking of it in those terms, lots of historians writing about Uh, you know, riots at this time are kind of thinking about the 60s. And it seems like in a lot of ways, you're thinking about Washington, D.C., the 60s as well, but particularly that D.C. history. So I wanted uh, you to start by telling us just a little bit about that longer history is because I think that's probably something that other people don't know a lot about as well. Right. What is the residential life of Washington, D.C. like well before this?
0: Yeah, what I focused on was was uh, was I mean I covered the history of Washington, Washington D.C. from its founding in eighteen hundred until uh, until nineteen sixty eight, and I covered that in twenty four pages. So uh, it's not exactly comprehensive, but what I did want to do was to uh, was to lay out the background uh, for what life was like, especially for African American citizens. Um, in Washington, D.C. for the century and a half of of, of the city's existence before the 1960s. Um, And and what's important uh, to know is that there was a lot of racial discrimination, uh, that blacks were not treated with equality, that they were not uh, treated fairly. Uh, Washington, D.C. was a Jim Crow city until after World War II, well after World War II, um, and that blacks... um, were often relegated to substandard housing, to poor education, uh, to all the conditions and to the poverty uh, that makes riots uh, happen, uh, at least urban riots uh, of of the 1960s. Uh, So what I wanted to do when I wrote that that first chapter was to lay out this and, and to talk about briefly, very briefly, about the monumental city of Washington, the one that tourists know about. Uh, and then the quite uh, different city. The other, Washington, is the title of that chapter, The Residential City of Washington, which, which has a fascinating uh, history and one that people don't know a lot about. Um, and so I wanted to lay the foundations for what happened in 1968 by, by, by talking about how things were uh, for blacks and for whites in Washington um, uh, through the 1950s.
1: And one other kind of key part of that is the actual structure, governmental structure of uh, Washington, D.C. And so before we dive into talking a little bit more about what's actually happening in 1968 and leading up to 1968, can you just remind everyone about uh, the home rule debates and the issues there and also a little bit about how that changed over this period of time?
0: Yeah, Washington really didn't have self-government after the 1870s. Uh, after the Civil War, uh, Washington was, was was giving a modicum of self-government. Uh, until then, it had been Congress that that ruled the city. Uh, after the Civil War, Washington got uh, briefly uh, self-government, uh, and then it was removed by Congress in the 1870s. So, so for a period of of about a century. Uh, Washington did not have home rule, as it was called, Uh, and this meant that the final authority for Washington in terms of laws, in terms of taxes, in terms of of, uh, administration, in terms of public safety, in terms of all those things that local governments do, uh, the final power rested with Congress. Um, and one problem was that members of the uh, congressional committees on the District of Columbia tended to be conservatives from the South who did not favor uh, equality for blacks and who pretty much didn't want Washington to succeed as a city uh, because if Washington succeeded as a city, it might indicate that blacks could could rule their, uh, could could rule could, could could run a city effectively uh so so that was kind of the background uh manner in which washington was governed until the 1960s every president after harry s truman Uh, Was in favor of washington being granted self-rule that is the power for the citizens of washington to elect their own government Which which they didn't have Uh, And the senate voted in favor of that many times, but it was always opposed by the house committee on the district of columbia until president johnson in 1966 and 67 through uh, pretty much through a, a legislative slate of hand Gave Washington a modicum of self-rule by going around the House Committee on the District of Columbia uh, and uh, imposing what was called a reorganization of the D.C. government, which gave the president to the, the power to appoint a mayor and a deputy mayor and a city council. Uh, and so in 1967, uh, for the first time in almost 100 years, Washington had its own mayor, uh, it had its own city council, it had uh, more leeway to govern itself than it had had for years, for, for uh, decades, um, Congress still had the final say-so on laws on uh regulations on budget, on taxes, uh, so it was not complete home rule, which didn't come until 1973. But that was a situation that faced Washington for almost a century, was that its, its uh, rulers, its governors, uh, its authorities uh, had the responsibility for, uh, for running the city, but they didn't have final authority to do what had to be done uh, to make it run effectively. Uh, and that was a real problem. Um, uh, responsibility without authority is always um, a terrible situation.
1: hmm Absolutely. So in the mid-1960s, there are a number of... Um, conflicts going on throughout America about, you know, race and civil rights and and whatnot. And 1967, in particular, sees a number of large uh, scale conflicts in other urban areas. One of the things I found particularly interesting about your book is you spend a, a, quite a bit of time talking about what people um, in government, both in the federal government and the uh, within DC with these new um, officials are doing to think about what happens if there is a riot in DC. And so I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about that kind of preparation that they're doing and kind of what they think might happen and what they think they should do if it happens.
0: Yeah. uh, It's really uh, impossible to, to overstate the concern that the urban riots uh, of the mid 19, of the mid 1960s caused, uh, both in city governments and in the federal government across the country. Between 1964 and 1967, there were literally hundreds of urban riots. Uh, Most seriously, New York City in 64 in Watts in 65, and uh, dozens of cities in 66 and 67. Most famously in 1967 in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and in Detroit. Uh, Riots that were enormously destructive uh, that cost... uh, dozens of lives, uh, and that caused a great deal of concern among the citizens of America and certainly uh, within the administration of President Johnson. Um, so you had a huge problem that these riots kept breaking out and there was no clear solution about what to do with them, what, what to do about them. President Johnson uh, in 1967, after the Warsaw riots, in 1967 alone there were 164 riots in cities large and small across the country. And, and, and that's a number that's hard to hard to believe, but it's, it's a fact. So in the summer of, of 1967, after uh Enormously destructive riots in Newark and Detroit, President Johnson, President Johnson appointed a commission to study the problem of urban disorders and to make recommendations about what to do about it. So this was called the, uh, uh, in form at least the Kerner Commission, after its chairman, Otto Kerner, the governor of Illinois. Uh, and the Kerner Commission did uh, a thorough study of the, what caused the riots, so, uh, and, 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 and what were the, uh, the main grievances of those who rioted, and what should be done about them? <clears throat> in Washington, D.C., there was always concern that, that the same conditions that applied in other cities that had caused major outbreaks of riots uh, existed. And the concern was, what happens if we have the outbreak of a major riot uh, in Washington? And there was preliminary uh, planning done about how to handle a riot if it broke out. But there was, uh, at the same time, there was hope that Washington had some special attributes that might prevent, might well prevent, the outbreak of serious rioting in Washington. And those uh, attributes were, one, the existence of, of a, a relatively large black middle class. To the presence of the federal government, uh, which was concerned about uh, alleviating the conditions that caused the riots, and uh, at, at the same time had a strong local military presence, um, and so these were viewed as attributes, and also the fact that the city, uh, uh, after 1967, uh, had its own government. It had an African American uh, mayor. His name was Walter Washington. Walter Washington was the first black uh, mayor of a large American city. Uh, And Mayor Washington made a point of walking the streets of the city, of talking to residents, of trying to improve conditions, and most of all showing that he cared about what was going on and that he would listen to what people uh, had to say or that he would try to respond to their grievances. So so all of these factors uh, provided at least some hope Uh, That even though um, the the conditions in Washington uh, in the poor areas of the city uh, were similar to those in Detroit and Newark and Watts and Harlem and other places where major riots had broken out, that Washington's uh, special assets uh, might prevent the outbreak of a major riot in Washington, D.C.
1: And why don't they?
0: Well, they didn't because uh, one, the the conditions prevailed, and 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 um, um, my conclusion is, and, and it's it's not mine alone by by any means, but but when when conditions are such a, a, as they were in urban areas across the country, where you have uh, serious poverty, you have uh, Substandard housing. You have high unemployment. You have limited opportunity. You have resentment toward uh, police abuse, uh, police misconduct, and all of these factors cause a great deal of alienation, a great deal of, of, of resentment, and and in in that kind of an atmosphere, uh, riots can break out with a spark of some kind, uh, and the spark that occurred, of course, in 1968. Uh, April 4th, 1968, was the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr. uh, in Memphis. uh, And that was the spark that set off the riots in Washington.
1: Okay. So your book does an amazing job of discussing in some detail how those riots develop and sort of the um, moment-by-moment uh, escalation and the moments when it sort of seems to be coming under control. And then when things shift and all of those, those sorts of um, or, or that chronology. And so I don't want to go into the whole chronology. People should definitely read the book and, and, uh learn about exactly how that occurred but i was wondering if you might tell us just a little bit about um those occurrences and in particular i want to talk more in a few minutes about the aftermath Um, of these riots and the consequences and how things took place afterwards. So I was wondering if you might tell us about just sort of one or two groups uh, and how they experienced these few days. Um, You do a particularly um, clear job of talking about sort of different groups of people, talking about the police, the army, the National Guard, um, people who live in the neighborhoods, people who own businesses in the neighborhoods, et cetera. So I was wondering if you might tell us just a little bit about uh, a few of those groups.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, in spite of the concern that riots might break out and in spite of the preparations that were done, when in fact the riots broke out as they did on, on the evening of, of, April 4th, 1968, after it was learned that Martin Luther King had died in, in, in Memphis, the, the Riots broke out spontaneously. Uh, It wasn't planned. There were no agitators. It wasn't anything that was preconceived. It just happened. Um, And the city and the federal government were not really ready for it. Uh, And the the riots that evening uh, got started uh, on 14th Street, around 14th Street and U Street, uh, which was the uh, primary commercial intersection of of Black Washington. Um, And when people first heard about uh, the fact that Martin Luther King had been shot, they started to gather at 14th and U, which was a natural place to to gather, and they were shocked and they were dismayed. When the word came through an hour or so later that King had died, uh, the dismay quickly turned to anger, and people started marching up and down the streets, uh and quickly started to smash windows and stores and started to loot uh, and the numbers of rioters that evening the evening of April 4th were so large that the police were just completely outnumbered and they couldn't do anything uh, they, they they simply didn't have the numbers available to stop the rioting what they tried to do was to was was, was to close off areas that rioters might march into but they couldn't really do that either so things uh that evening reached out of control for uh for several hours and there was some uh, there were some cases of of arson that same evening um so so the riots uh among those who were participating was a kind of spontaneous outburst of of alienation of anger of frustration. Uh, and of resentment toward white society. Uh, and it was clear that, 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 that there was this kind of, 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 of resentment because those who participated in the riot uh, that evening uh, threw rocks, threw stones, threw bricks at police cars. Uh, they threw bottles and bricks at, at, at firemen, at, at, at firefighters, uh, they're probably all firemen in 1968 uh, when they came to try to to put out the fires, and they also looted the uh, stores, and and I, it's not clear how discriminating they, uh, they 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 were in choosing targets of stores that they looted, but in in most cases uh, they were uh, stores that were owned uh, by white uh, by by white people. So, so part of the riots was resentment toward white society. Part of it uh, was was just a spontaneous eruption of of indignation uh, and um, and alienation. <laughs> for the people who were responsible for dealing with the riots, it was extremely difficult. The, the uh, police called out uh, or uh, members of the police force as quickly as they could. Um, and the firefighters got, uh, did what they could to douse fires that evening. Uh, there were a few uh, major fires. There was one grocery store that was burned out, uh, and there were a lot of minor fires. But, uh, but it was clear uh, that if the riots resumed, and, and, and they calmed down by, by late on the evening of, uh, on the night of April 4th and, and into the wee hours of April 5th uh, the riot. Uh, uh did did die down and the concern was what would happen the next day um so authorities were concerned should we call out troops should we call the national guard what exactly should we do uh, how do we handle this if, if it breaks out again and the concern was not that it would break out the next day the concern was based on on, on the experience of of riots in other cities um Uh, In in the mid-1960s, the concern was the riots might resume on the evening uh, of April 5th, the following night. And the fact was they didn't know what to do. And uh, President Johnson, among others, was very reluctant to call out troops uh, at that point. Uh, and so the city more or less waited uh, breathlessly to see what might happen the next day and hoping, hoping that the worst was over. Well, as it turned out, that was, that was a false hope because uh, starting around noontime on Friday, April 5th, the riots quickly just raged out of control. Uh, and, and there was something like 25 to 30 fires in buildings that wiped out entire blocks. Some cases, 25 or 30 major fires per hour uh, on April 5th, and that's that's uh, that's when the uh, huge destruction occurred uh, in major commercial and residential areas of of Washington. Uh, the LA Times ran a headline on Saturday, April 6, about the destruction on all. April 5th, in which the headline uh, about the D.C. riots was smoldering ruins block after block. Uh, and people compared uh, how 14th Street, uh, 7th Street Northwest, and 8th Street Northeast, which were the major centers of riot activity, people compared those with bombed out uh, uh, cities during World War II. That's what it looked like. Um so this was all enormously difficult for authorities uh, for shopkeepers uh, who, in many cases had their life savings they had they had owned these shops they had worked these shops they had uh, operated these these, these shops uh, for for a long long time, and suddenly it was all gone uh, so it was enormously difficult for them it was tragic for them uh, and uh, it was also of course enormously uh, The the riots were so destructive, and they were mostly destructive in neighborhoods that were largely uh, occupied by black citizens. So the people who lost their uh, homes, in many cases, lost all their possessions because um, the arson that was done, the fires that were set, the fires that raged, the fires that that consumed entire blocks uh, wiped out not only stores, which oftentimes were the targets, uh, but apartments uh, and other homes, which were in, in, in buildings that also housed stores. So, so people who were not involved in, in the rioting didn't, didn't necessarily support the rioting, uh, but in many cases they lost their homes and all their belongings. So, so the effects of the riot were very extensive and very unfortunate um, for a um, large portion of the city of Washington.
1: So you touched on a couple of things that I I was curious about, both in your answer and reading the book. And the first one is this issue of the police or law enforcement more generally, I suppose, um, including the federal government, uh, really in many ways weren't prepared. And I'm curious because, as I mentioned before, and, and we talked a little bit about they, they were preparing for this. They've, they've been preparing for a while. Uh, they had been, you know, Johnson, you have a couple of quotes of him talking about there being sort of nothing that can be done to immediately permit Prevent something like this happening, that they're just preparing for the possibility. I was curious why, given that they have been thinking about this, why weren't they better prepared? And I was curious if they're preparing in the wrong way. Uh, You talk a little bit about sort of doing surveillance on uh, black organizations on Stokely Carmichael, for example, and kind uh-huh. of keeping track of what he's doing is, is the issue that they're spending their time doing that kind of thing instead of uh, thinking about other sorts of more practical issues or, or what's going on here that that failed?
0: Well, that's, uh, that, that's a good question. Your question is better than my, than my answer. Uh, after the 67 riots, there was a, a, a concerted effort by, by federal agencies and, Local governments want to train troops and to train National Guard uh, uh, troops and officers to better deal with the riots once they broke out. Because uh, National Guard troops, who have been the, the main uh, troops that were introduced in both Detroit and, and, and Newark, cannot perform well. They were frightened. They were ill Prepared. they were ill- trained they didn't know what to do and they they tended to shoot off their rifles at anything that moved uh, which is not a good thing of course so uh, so the, uh, the the Army and the National Guard and the Justice Department worked very hard to to uh, to better prepare for and better train uh, army troops and National Guard troops uh, for riot duty if it occurred Um but, but, but the larger question is the one that's, that's more difficult to answer. Why weren't they ready to go um, when the riots occurred? Almost everyone expected riots to break out in the summer of 1968. There was no reason to think that, that the summer of 1968 would be any calmer or have any fewer riots than the summer of 1967 uh, had done. Uh, so, so the, the the concern was, and the reality was that that, that most authorities, federal and uh, in and local and state governments around the country, 1968 was going to be another hot summer. Um, that the riots that broke out in April of of 1968 summer came came early. Summer of '68 came early, as a result of Dr. King's assassination. Um, and so even though they, they had plans the plans were not um, the kind of thing that could be instantaneously uh, implement- implemented implemented uh, it's not as though they had troops stationed uh, on the edges of cities or where they where, where they didn't have adequate police forces to deal with the numbers of rioters that they were dealing with so so the plans were there and the plans uh, just took a while to uh, to go into effect. Um, and one example of that, which I alluded to a few minutes ago, was that uh, President Johnson did not want to call out federal troops in Washington. Uh, he was afraid that once the troops were, were called out, uh, that that would mean that people would be killed, especially women and children. And he was concerned about about women and children being killed by, by members of the Army or the National Guard, Especially, I and mean, he was concerned about people being killed under any conditions. Um, and one thing, one one part of the planning that was done and that was implemented uh, in in April of 1968 uh, was was a plan to deal with the riots if they broke out. And what was decided on by the Justice Department, by the military, uh, by the police department of, of, of Washington uh, and of other cities. <coughs> was a policy of restraint. Uh, Rather than having uh, troops come in, uh, National Guard, regular army, or uh, or, 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 uh, police forces, uh, reinforced police forces, um, come in and use their firearms to try to control the riots, a policy that was was agreed on and and adopted uh, by the army and by the Justice Department, uh, was, it, uh, was it a policy of restraint which means that, that, that you use firearms you fire your weapons only under the most dire of circumstances the troops have ammunition but are not authorized at least in Washington I think elsewhere too uh, troops, troops that, that were called in on Friday were, uh, were, were issued ammunition uh, but not authorized to load their weapons and two, they uh, fixed their bayonets on their uh, rifles, but they uh, kept them sheathed. And the whole point of this was to uh, avoid the kind of promiscuous uh, shooting that had occurred in Newark and Detroit and other places in 1967 with the idea uh, that you cut down on the number of, of people who were killed, uh, sometimes, oftentimes, perhaps, inadvertently, Innocent bystanders, uh, as as um, had occurred in 1967, and the policy of of, of restraint also um, carried with it the uh, the the, uh, the principle that instead of using your weapons, instead of using your firearms, that you uh, that you use uh, tear gas to try to disperse and control crowds. Uh, and that's exactly what happened in Washington. In uh, the, the whole time the troops were on the streets of Washington, which was about 12 days, uh, all the troops that were out, which was about 15,000 troops, Army and National Guard, uh, they fired off in 12 days 15,000 troops, 14 rounds of ammunition. At, at the same time, they fired off 5,240. A tear gas canister. So, so, so the policy of of, uh, of restraint was a policy that was used. It was a policy that was adopted, and it's a policy that was was implemented. But, but it took a while to reach the point where the troops were called in and ready to deal uh, with the riots uh, as they were occurring in Washington and, and elsewhere. <coughs> Excuse me.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there a significant difference between what the how the troops were being trained or being, and and I'm including the national guard in this particular case um, or, or their actions and the actions of the police. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think you mentioned that there were some police who, who did fire, who somehow hadn't gotten this quite gotten this message um, of using restraint. And I was wondering if those were sort of uh, one-offs, just some particular, um, Individuals who hadn't gotten the message, or was there a difference, a, a split? And of course, some of those grievances that you talked about at the beginning were particularly with more local law enforcement.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and and that is what happened in Washington. There, there were only, um, I use the term only advisedly. There there, there were two uh, individuals who were killed by police gunfire. One was in southeast Washington. One was in northeast Washington. Uh, in areas where there was some rioting. And uh, Patrick Murphy, whose position was Director of Public Safety in the city of Washington, D.C., that placed him in charge of the police department, the fire department, and the Office of Civil Defense. Patrick Murphy uh, was was one of the originators of the policy of restraint. Uh, and what happened in, in one case was that a policeman had a loaded weapon... And a youth, a young man of 15 or 16, uh, was running uh, toward a police officer, accidentally bumped his pistol and got shot and killed. Uh, the other one was a police officer who hadn't gotten word either and shot at an uh, individual who he thought was a looter uh, and had a weapon. And it turned out that neither of those things were true. So, so there were two people who were killed by police gunfire. Uh, and Murphy was very unhappy about it because uh, word, uh, and, and this was on Friday afternoon, uh, second day of the rioting, uh, and he was very unhappy that the word had not gotten to those patrolmen uh, that they were not to uh, have loaded weapons uh, and that, that they were not to be uh, carrying their weapons in, in, in a way that could uh, that could cause death. So, yeah, in those cases, the word didn't get out uh and why that is uh, i mean who knows uh, the entire situation was was chaotic and um, information was not always well communicated um, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that answers your question or not
1: <laughs> no it no, it does it does um <laughs> and So could you tell us a little bit more about how the city is responding to the humanitarian aspects of, of the riot or, or to put it a different way, as you mentioned, there are lots of people who lose their homes. There's lots of people who are displaced as a result of this. What comes to be because of that aspect of the destruction?
0: Well, initially, and that, and that was something that, that was a concern of, of, Mayor Washington, from the outset, he had a press conference uh, early in the morning of April 5th, after the first night of, of, of rioting. He held a, a press conference at one twenty a.m., uh, and and he, he was, as turned out, uh, overly optimistically, but he was... Indicating that he thought the worst might be over of the rioting, but he said we still have a huge problem because people don't have homes, they don't have food, uh, and we're going to have to mount a major effort here to feed and house people and to try to counter the the uh, the effects of the riots for people who have been displaced. Uh, some people couldn't couldn't get their medicine, and I mentioned. In, in my book, the case of one woman who was in desperate need of, of insulin, and she went to her drugstore, and the drugstore had been burned out. Uh, so, so there were all, all these kinds of, of uh, humanitarian concerns. Uh, and what happened started on starting on Friday was that churches uh, and grocery chains, both uh, Safeway and Giant Foods, which, which were the main uh, grocery chains in Washington at the time, uh, supplied literally hundreds of thousands of free meals to people who needed them. Uh, the Salvation Army and churches uh, uh, collected clothing. Uh, the Washington Board of Realtors did some uh, some some legwork to try to find housing for people who had lost their homes. So so there there was a tremendous and voluntary effort. Uh, in which the whole area, both the city and and, and suburbs, uh, uh, cooperated uh, in a wonderful way to, 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 to meet the immediate needs of people who lost their homes, lost their jobs, lost their uh, possessions, uh, and, and didn't have food to eat. Um, over the long term, um, the, 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 the efforts... Which were made to rebuild the burned out areas. And the burned out areas up 14th Street, 7th Street, and 8th Street Northeast uh, were were, were very large areas that were suddenly wastelands. And there were efforts made uh, with strong support from uh, President Nixon, who came in as president in January of 69. There were efforts made, there was planning done to try to rebuild the burned out areas, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen for uh, for a generation because of lack of, of, of support, because of lack of, of commitment, because of lack of realistic plans, uh, because of lack of private investment. So for, for all those reasons, uh, it took a very long time for the burned out areas uh, from, from the riots to recover.
1: And how much ch- changes? Uh- After this period, and I'm particularly thinking about some of those more um, systemic issues that help lead or or create the conditions that that lead to riots um, about police misconduct, about um, poverty, education, job opportunities, those sorts of things, of course. I'm sure anyone listening knows that uh, police conduct is something that has come back into the news recently and has become an issue uh, that with a lot of public attention recently. And so I was wondering if you might talk just a little bit about how much does change um, after this beyond the rebuilding question alone.
0: Yeah. um, There was wide recognition that a lot had had to be done to uh, to improve police community relations and to improve police conduct and to hire more black police officers and, and, and there was a great deal of emphasis placed on that in Washington DC there was also a lot of emphasis uh, in in, uh, in other cities <coughs> excuse me because one of the, um, the, the the major lessons from the rise in Washington and in, in other cities during the 1960s was that something had to be done to Alleviate black resentment toward policemen's misbehavior and misconduct of which there was a great deal, uh, police abuse of, of of citizens, especially black citizens, uh, and that was a huge problem in Washington and, and, and elsewhere. And a lot was done to try to improve that. Um, and and from what we know of what goes on today, it appears that that lesson has somehow been, been uh, unlearned or underlearned. Uh, it's still a problem, and, and it, it might always be a problem. But, uh, but 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 certainly major efforts were undertaken uh, in Washington and in other cities after the riots of the mid nineteen sixties to improve uh, police relations with the community and to and to build mutual respect. Which was the Washington Post said. Uh, 1969 or, or 70, that police-community relations had reached rock bottom in 1967, uh, that they had gotten better uh, after that, which was true enough. So uh, certainly there was a keen awareness that, that there's a huge problem here, and, and we have to do uh, a lot, and, and a lot was done. The problem is that it's, it's something that you can't, can't let up on, uh, and we don't know exactly what happens I, I haven't studied other cities um but but it's an ongoing challenge it's an ongoing problem it's something you can't can't fix and say well that's fixed now we can move on
1: um so i want to shift gears for for a moment here and ask you a little bit about the research that you did for this book mm-hmm. um I, as i've mentioned you give a relatively detailed account of what takes place over a, the course of a pretty short period of time as history books go, at least um, during those few days. The bulk of your book is about that short period of time. Mm -hmm. And we, of course, typically would think about uh, riots as being chaotic situations. There's a lot of different things happening. So I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about what kind of research you did and how you... uh, how you gathered the sources to write that sort of narrative.
0: Yeah, I found uh, a lot. And um, a- as you say, um, you know, people were not taking, uh, taking notes or writing memo, excuse me, writing memos to one another uh, during the rides themselves. Uh, the, the papers of, of Walter Washington had just opened about the time that I started my, my, my research, and, 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 and it was a major uh, source for me. Um, but it's not as though there are, are, are letters going back and forth or, or memos between officials and authorities. There's, 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 not, that, there, there's not that. But what there is, um, what there are, our timelines, and practically everyone who was, every agency that was involved in responding to the riots, which included the D.C. government, the federal government, uh, and the military, and they kept timelines of what was going on at any any given moment. Um, and, and so what I found in my research, which was enormously useful, um, were, uh, were a series of timelines where they said you know, April 4th, 8 o'clock p.m., fire breaks out at, at such and such. Looters at such and such. Um, uh, uh, citizens are throwing bricks at firemen. You know, that, that type of thing with, with, with the time, just pages and pages of that, and it's fascinating. And, and, and of course, I, I, I only used a little bit of it uh, in my book. Um, but but that, that there was a lot of that kind of information uh the military kept the, the 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 army kept kept very detailed records of of of, of, of who's doing what and, and what they were responding to and what they were doing and and what the situation was the title of my book comes comes from from one of the timelines uh, that the military compiled, General Ralph Haynes was a commander of Task Force Washington, a- as it was called, after Johnson decided to call out the troops. And and, and Haynes had done a tour of, of, of the, the riot areas on Saturday evening, April 5th, uh, and then he sent back his impressions and, and, and sent back reports of what he had observed on his tours, and he, he did a tour of 14th Street, and he sent back uh, a report saying most of 14th Street is gone, uh, and that's where, where the title of my book came from. So so there's all kinds of, of information and, and, and tidbits like that. Um, there are also some some very good oral histories. Uh, there are three of them, fortunately only three, but, but three very good oral histories uh, at Howard University, uh, done with uh, participants in the riots uh, who talked about their experiences and, and about their 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 motives. So, uh, so so that was very helpful. Um, so uh, there, there there was a lot of uh, firsthand reporting, a lot of uh, firsthand information. And what I try to do in my book is to is to pick out what is most interesting or most important and try to to. To, to make sense out of the chaos, because, uh, because there was a lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainty, uh, and a lot of anger, and, and a lot of fear. Um, and that's all part of the story of the D.C. riots. Mm-hmm. All
1: right. Well, thank you so much. And um, we've taken quite a bit of your time, so to just ask you one last question. Um, are you working on anything now?
0: I'm working on trying to figure out what to work on. I'm still trying to rest on my laurels from, from this book, which came out uh, officially in April. And um, and I've got some ideas, but I haven't uh, nailed down anything yet. So i have to have to work on that for a while longer.
1: Well, fair enough. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And like I say, it's a very interesting um, book telling us about this really important moment in, um, in American history and in D.C.
0: Okay. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And thank you to our listeners. Thanks for listening to New Books in History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.